Welcome to another episode of Saints and Sinners Unplugged. This is Ken Jones, and I'm joined by our regular co-hosts, Aldo Leon, David Menendez, and Jose Prado. We are four pastors here in South Florida, in the Miami area, who happen to love the doctrines of grace, and we get together each week at this time to discuss various aspects of the doctrines of grace and or church history. We are delighted to have a very special guest with us on the phone, and that is a very dear sister, uh, Mrs. Elise Fitzpatrick. Elise is uh, an author of over 20-some-odd books and also a very popular uh, conference speaker and blogger, I understand. Is that correct, Elise? (laughs) Well, you know, I I blog whenever I'm not writing. (laughs) Blogging and writing books doesn't really go, well, at least for me, it doesn't really go together. It's sort of blogging is the, blogging is the enemy of the author. <laughs> I, I, I think I understand that. But thank you for joining us, uh, Elise. Thank is, you. She is uh, based in Escondido, California. She's connected to a lot of our friends down there at Westminster Seminary in Escondido. And as I mentioned, has authored over 20 books. Now, at least what I'd like to do to get started is of the 20-some-odd books that you've written, I want to focus on three, and if you can just kind of give us an overview of the thesis of those three works. Number one, uh, give them grace. Number two, Mm -hmm. idols of the heart. And three, counsel from the cross. So could you kind of walk us through the main thesis of those three works? Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Well, two of those three books, Counsel from the Cross and Give Them Grace, really were the byproduct of a book I wrote called Because He Loves Me. Mm -hmm. So I would say about 12 or 14 years ago, I began to see the doctrines of grace in a way that I had never seen them before, and that wasn't you know, that that's not to say that I didn't understand I was saved by grace. I just didn't understand how grace and the gospel uh, should impact my daily life, even as a believer. So um, I began to write a book called uh, Because He Loves Me, and in that, my heart was really transformed to begin to see the uh, gracious doctrines of uh, God's salvation by faith in Christ, which were all things I already knew, but then I began to see how that would impact my life on a daily basis. Mm. And then we began to talk. I am a, I'm a mom. I have three kids. They're all uh, grown up and out of the house. May God be praised forever. <laughs> and um, and they, uh, they uh, each are married and have kids. And we began to talk as a family. Uh, because in particular, my daughter and I were on this trajectory of beginning to see the gospel everywhere. Mm. And so we began to talk about... Now, now let me ask well, you there for, for a moment there, Elise. What is it in particular that sparked this renewed understanding of, of the gospel and of grace? You know, it was actually a couple of things sort of converging. It was uh, some friends of ours in the church we were in at the time, uh, Ian and Barbara Duguid, whom who I know you're familiar with. Yeah, I know uh, Ian. And, <laughs> and they began to challenge me uh, that I really wasn't seeing the gospel enough. 
uh, Barbara was feeding me Tim Keller, <laughs> mm. Tim Keller things. And at that point, he wasn't really published. He had these sort of funny Bible study things that, you know, you would run off and they were 40 pages long or something like that. So anyway, uh, she began to challenge me with that. And then, and so, and, and at that point, I was in a Sovereign Grace Church where I was hearing, uh, I was hearing a different sort of message um, than I really had heard before. So that was, that was kind of the genesis of it. And then at the same time, uh, my daughter and I were reading with a group of friends, um, Martin Luther on Galatians. Mm. And uh, that was, you know, needless to say, rocking our world. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, usually and does. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Luther. It's like, well, these reformers, who knew? Yeah. So, but, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then we were also reading a book called uh, by Gerhard Ferdy uh, on being a theologian of the cross. Mm. Okay. So all of this is sort of coming together at the same time. I've written because he loves me. I'm trying to walk out what the gospel means in my daily life. We're talking about what that means in, um, in parenting. And so then we thought, okay, well, we've got to really start thinking then. If the gospel is supposed to impact the way that I um, live my life every day, then how would it change my parenting? And when I say the gospel, what I mean is the good news, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the good news of the incarnation, mm-hmm. sinless life, substitutionary death, bodily resurrection and ascension, reign and return of Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say gospel. I mean mm-hmm. that whole story, not mm-hmm. just the cross, but the whole story, particularly, I think uh, one of the things that I saw was of his sinless life. Yeah. and how mm. that righteousness had been imputed to me. Okay, yes. big long story. So we started reading, we started talking, and we I realized that the way that I raised my kids um, was not really in the gospel. And that's not to say that, you know, we didn't take them to a Christian church. We certainly did. Right. But I really thought that giving my kids law mm. was the way that somehow I could make them good. And, uh, Mm. and so what happened then was in the writing of give them grace, uh, once again, our worlds were turned upside down Mm. and we began to see that what our kids really needed to hear, hence the title, give them grace, uh, was the dazzling good news of what Jesus Christ has done for them. And, um, yeah, so that's that. That's Give Them Grace. That's why we wrote that. Then the other book that came out of that um, was Counsel from the Cross, which I co-authored with uh, my friend Dennis, Dr. Dennis Johnson. So being a biblical counselor then, again, you can see this trajectory, wrote Because He Loves Me, and then a couple of little devotionals off of that, wrote Give Them Grace, 
And then I began to ask the question, well, okay, hold on a minute. Then how does my belief in the principles and practice of biblical counseling, how should that be affected Mm. by this emphasis on the good news? And, And was my biblical counseling at all Mm-hmm. even affected by the gospel. I mean, Ken, I would, I would, of course, ask counselees, do you believe Jesus died for your sins and all of that sort of business, but I don't think I ever really talked to them about what it meant to be justified. Wow. I yeah. mean, I, yeah. one time I was talking to a friend who's a biblical counselor, uh, fairly well-known, and I said, do you, do you ever talk to your counselees about what it means for them to be justified. And he said, no, no, justification is my operating system. I don't, I don't think I need to talk to them about it. Wow. And I said, how many of them do you think can even define it? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Take that to church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, and one of the things, Ken, that I've done is I've gone around and, and had the great privilege and opportunity to speak primarily to women's groups around the country. Mm-hmm. And I will ask women, how many of you know what it means to be justified? How would you yeah. define justification? And honestly, the sad news is very few. Yeah, that's consistent with studies we've done over the years. You know Shane Rosenthal, uh, producer mm-hmm. from the White Horse Inn, we used to go to send him to different Christian events and ask right. those same kinds of questions, basic questions. What is justification? And it was really heartbreaking to hear the responses. This is not man on the streets. This is in the pews. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And these are women that, um, and I'm not picking on the women, I'm just saying, this isn't being taught, because these are women who would burn a day, a Saturday, to come and listen to some old lady yammer, (laughs) and so, you know, their Christianity is important to them, Sure. and I say, okay, let's define justification, and I'll start them off, I'll say, just as if I never, and there's usually (laughs) a smatter of people who will say sinned. Okay. But then I say, just as if I always, mm. and it's crickets. Right. Wow. Um, so that, the truth of, primarily the truth of imparted righteousness, justification, forgiveness, those are the things then that I began to ask the question, how should that affect my counseling? Okay. Or am I counseling like a Mormon? Mm. <laughs> Yeah. And 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 actually the truth was yeah, I was. Wow. Okay. Um and then of course, you know, Idols of the Heart, that's a book that I wrote really I was I was beginning to make this turn. Mm-hmm. So the original um the original edition of Idols of the Heart really would probably not be where I am right now, which is why we did a re-release. Okay. Uh we did an updated edition where I was able to talk more about where I am right now. And so Idols of the Heart would really be that kind of, um, would really be that kind of uh, discussion about what are the things that we love and cherish more than we love and cherish the Lord. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and how do those things then um, how do they how do they impact our daily life and how we then struggle with certain perhaps ongoing sins okay no that's that's a good backdrop now you mentioned two things that I think are worth teasing out and I don't think people take I don't know if we understand how significant this is, but I've often said when it comes to understanding the gospel, a lot of evangelicals will get half of it, and that is Jesus died uh-huh. for my yeah. sins. Yes. But right. the other part of it that we either take for granted or don't think deeply on is that he lived for my righteousness. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say that in your experience— that that lopsided or one-sided understanding of the gospel always leads us back, even if you're in a good, healthy church, it always leads us back to law. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you talk to the, you know, normal Christian in the pew, uh, you know, did Jesus die for your sins? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did they... Did he actually die for all your sins or just the sins that you're really, really repentant of? You know, that mm. kind of question. Mm-hmm. Um, they, don't, they don't really know how to answer that. But then when you say to them, when God looks at you, does he see you as being completely obedient in the obedience of Christ? Mm-hmm. I mean, their eyes glaze over. They have no idea. Mm. Yeah. We have missed that. And yeah. because we've missed it, yeah. Because the gospel no longer holds the center, and Ken, I know you guys already know this, mm-hmm. because, you know, I've listened to you over the years on White Horse Inn and et cetera, because that gospel doesn't hold the center, mm-hmm. isn't strong enough, isn't dazzling enough, isn't, yeah. isn't amazing enough to hold the center, because of that, then... Um, then law always takes the place because then yep. we're on the glory road. Exactly. And we're trying to figure out how to make ourselves better. Yeah. And the road is littered with many peddlers giving you just what you think you need because you exactly. don't have the gospel. You, you know, right. You know, something I've noticed is not just the, the missing part of Christ's active righteousness uh, being imputed to us, but also the language of conversion is law language, it's not faith language. So typically, right. you say, you preach the gospel and then you the the connecting moment of conversion is surrender your life, mm. give your life, accept Christ. Right. It's all law language, follow Christ. Right. And so it's almost like the, it, we, we preach the gospel and then we make the connecting point, not sola fide, but but faithfulness. And it's very, it's very subtle, like it's almost like the, the call to salvation is a call to discipleship in and of itself. Not consequentially discipleship comes from conversion, right? But it's like right. it's, it's, you, you are now <laughs> starting this thing right. by surrendering your – it's the whole lordship salvation conversation. Yeah. You know? You're going to be saved right. by beginning to get good, not <laughs> as ungodly or, through and through. Or, or – or, <laughs> Putting your will at a place where you acknowledge that you will try your best to be good. So I heard, I heard, I heard a you commit to that. <laughs> a, a, a guy from the whole MacArthur world. He was saying, you know, well, you can't keep all of God's law, but you should desire to want to keep all of God's law. I'm like, well, that's really well, th- that's the tenth commandment. Do we conform to the tenth commandment ever, <laughs> fully? Yeah. Yeah. I said, I said, try that with your wife. 
I'm not. I, I, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try not to cheat on you. But if I cheat on you, like it, it's okay. It's like no. It's either a hundred percent, a thousand percent conformity or zero. You know, not right. like yeah. Well, and, and right. some, something else you mentioned, Elise, and I think this is going to be true of most of us as we raise our children. And I've said this about myself. People say, well, were you raised in a Christian home? And, you know, being the Calvinist that I am, I had to think deeply on it. And I realized that I was raised by Christians, but that mm-hmm. didn't necessarily automatically make it a Christian home. And right. the, the very thing that you were speaking of in raising your children through the lens of the law, that right. that resonates. And I think that's probably more true than people realize. And I think when you couple in the whole idea of the idols that we have of parenting, uh, there's a whole generation of Christian parents that are, even as they have all of these activities, it really is mm-hmm. a law-based way by which they are trying to raise their Christian children. Yeah, and it's Well, that's ex- that's exactly right. And the thing that, you know, Christian Smith's uh, study that he did, of course, oh. where, you know, he interviewed all of the thousands of youth and came away the way that they define Christianity is therapeutic moralistic mm-hmm. deism. Mhm. That's yeah. That's what we give our kids, and yeah. honestly, it's what's going on in the pew. Yeah. Um, because we, because the, the only thing that's strong enough to hold the center of our mm. affections and to motivate zealous obedience, yeah. which we long for, hmm. is the gospel. Yeah. And if we don't have that, then law comes rushing right in mm. and you get therapeutic yep. moralistic deism you just you automatically get it and yeah. you know that's that's i know that's how i raise my kids i have asked for forgiveness from them <laughs> i'm i'm thankful that they still talk to me yeah. because, I, because sure. I honestly you know i i didn't grow up in a christian home at all maybe in some ways that's a good yeah. thing but i didn't grow up in a christian home and um, hmm. and I, I lived a very debauched, uh, undisciplined life mm-hmm. until I became a Christian right before my 21st birthday. And so it was my determination that as a Christian, my kids were not going to hmm. live the way I lived. Right, right. Hmm. And, 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 and I think a, a lot of Christian parents do that. They, they try to yeah. prevent their children from making the same mistakes mm-hmm. as they would say yeah. or just yeah. living out of the flesh That's as right. they did. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and whenever justification is not a, a totally in Christ reality, there's this massive vacuum that has to be filled somewhere else. And so yeah. parenting, becomes, exactly. parenting becomes a means of justification rather than a place yeah. to live out justification. Well, and, and it's interesting, you mentioned, you referenced the Christian uh, Smith study. The kids that he studied, he did so over a course of about five years and they were from uh-huh. all sorts of religious backgrounds. And that, that designation of moralistic therapeutic deism, that was a conglomeration. And he says because it was really no different from Christians, from Pentecostal Christians, conservative mm-hmm. Christians, Muslims, mm-hmm. Jews. That was the conglomerate religion of all young people raised in religious homes. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's Listen to me. amazing. If Christianity 
can be boiled down to be nice yeah. so you can feel good about yourself and God will give you goodies, hmm. then I'm telling you what, I am not going to go to the Coliseum for that. Amen. I will not go to martyrdom for that. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, hmm. I won't even say no to my friends who are offering me drugs for that. Yeah. Yeah. I there wanna, is no power in be nice. Amen. Yeah. And I wouldn't even go to church for that. I can just, I can get that somewhere else. You know? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> that's and what that's what's happening. Better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah I, can get, I can get that from yoga or something. You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, now, Elise, you you mentioned that you were in a basically a reformed church when it right. dawned on you that grace was not the grid by which you were viewing all of life. Now, that's that's important because sometimes on the reform side. We have a tendency to wag our fingers at evangelicals mm-hmm. and Pentecostals, but do you see there's do you see a consistency there that even in reform circles, there seems to be an inability, or at least a lacking in in terms of understanding the practicality of the Christian faith or the grace that we that we embrace in all of life. Is this something that? that we share in common in reform circles? Is this a, a failure to fully understand our standards? How do you explain that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess that, that that's sort of a case-by-case basis, but I would just say broad brush generally. Mm-hmm. Reformed people, which I am one, reformed people tend to love doctrine, mm. but rarely make shouldn't say rarely. Um, go ahead. I'm trying to be I'm with you. You're in Miami. No, nobody preach, will hear you. Preach. Preach, Elise. <laughs> preach it. But, but rarely make the connection between that doctrine that is yeah. so beloved mm. to the way that their lives should be then... I, I want to say marked by mm-hmm. zealous, zeal and joy and love for neighbor. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as though, it's almost as though if you're going to be a, a, a reformed theologian, you know, you want to just think about your little group, your group, and, um, you know, if people actually want to come in and you know be part of the church then let's make sure that they you know that they do all the things we think that they ought to do without actually having this sort of zealous love for neighbor mm. which is only motivated by the gospel mm-hmm. wow. when i see how christ has loved me the uh the outcast yeah i think I then think... i can go to the outcast and i'll tell you how this has sort of played out just recently and mm-hmm. i think you guys will resonate with this uh our family has this little podcast called front porch with the pisses which is just insanity basically it's not nearly <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just kind of craziness anyway um so we decided last year that for about six weeks we would talk about white privilege and um and racism in the evangelical church hmm. okay so all right does that exist and we're trying <laughs> no Ken. we're trying to do that from the perspective of 
Jesus going out of his way. And, you know, obviously we have white privilege. We don't even know we've got it. Okay. <laughs> so in the six weeks that we did that, I would say we lost mm. about two thirds mm. of the people who normally listen to us. Wow. Mm. Okay. Now that, that's kind of discouraging, Yeah. <laughs> but that's also a marker. It's this marker that says the gospel <laughs> of grace for yeah. all people, hmm. yeah. all genders, all ethnicities, the gospel of grace for all people really has not burrowed down into our hearts enough that we would begin to see that we need it when we have relationships with our neighbors. Wow. Yeah. I I think something I like to, it's not enough to be clear on the gospel. We must be emphatic on the gospel and consistent Mm -hmm. with the gospel. I think there's a lot of people that would assume because there's a clear, there's a clear position that that somehow in the clear position in the closet that you stub your toe on accidentally is going to be sufficient, but it has to be emphatic and consistent. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it, otherwise, I don't know. It's Jesus. Scripture doesn't just say that Christ died for our sins. It says, I delivered to you that which is of first importance. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it being clear, but not being emphatic. Yeah. I, I think that is a lot of the reason why we see a lot of this disconnect. And, and how it plays out in life and whatnot. Well, we're going to have right. to bring this to a close for right now, but we will continue this for our next session. Again, we've been joined by Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, author of over 20 books, including Give Them Grace. But And, and I thank you for, for correcting me on this, Elise, because I think this is the one that got my wife's attention. Because he loves me, mm-hmm. uh, that is the fountainhead of of much of what we have been discussing. That's about all the time we have with you today. Thank you for joining us on Saints and Sinners Unplugged, and we look forward to being with you again next week at the same time.